The goal of every Christian is to become more and more like Jesus. You know, to love, forgive, show grace like Jesus. I mean, that's a great goal. But we need to remember that the more we become like Jesus, the more we will be treated like Jesus. And Jesus was often treated harshly. Welcome to Bible Studies for Life, the adult podcast hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. Chris, you ready? Let's talk about persecution. Yeah, thanks for starting us on that happy note there, Lynn. I appreciate sure. that. Uh, we're delighted today to have Ken Braddy with us to help us to talk about persecution. Ken used to persecute us when he was uh, our, our manager. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Ken has, has changed pos- your position, your, your title. Some of your responsibilities have changed since the last time you were with us. First, thanks for coming. And uh, we appreciate you and appreciate all that you do to uh, promote. Uh, Bible studies for life and other uh, ongoing Bible studies, but tell us about your new uh, position. Yeah, Chris, thanks. And Lynn, thanks for having me back. I'm just like a bad penny. You know, I just, you guys keep <laughs> asking me back and I keep turning up. That's so right. uh, back on December the 1st uh, of 2021, uh, I shifted my responsibilities at Lifeway. Uh, for the last 12 years, I had served as uh, the manager of our adult ongoing studies where, you know, you guys work with me and I work with you. Uh, in our department. But a couple of years ago, uh, there was a transition in another role, a very important role in our company, the director of Sunday school uh, left us. And so rather than rehiring that, uh, that position, uh, our upline leaders looked at me and they said, you know, this really dovetails with your work on ongoing curriculum. So would you also become the director of Sunday school and do those two full-time jobs? And I've done my best for several years, but they realized, you know, you, you can't, you can't do, you know, two full-time jobs uh, justice. And so on December the 1st, I transitioned out of the management job and into the director of Sunday school's role full-time. So that means I get now to spend my time speaking and leading and training and writing and blogging and all things Sunday school to help churches. In fact, Chris, we were just talking, I was uh, in Florida last night, uh, encouraging a church and their workers that hadn't been together. The workers had not come together for about two years. And it was the first time they've been together as a teaching faculty. So uh, wow. things like that are, you know, part of the job description. So very excited about that. For the well, you, will, you will serve us well in that, Ken. Uh, and I have said this publicly before, but uh, my 28 years at Lifeway, you have been the best manager I've had. Uh, just uh, part of it is your personality, but also just your passion for ongoing curriculum, what we do with Sunday school. So that's why I say you will serve us well, uh, the churches, as we um, uh, as you help us to just keep Sunday school before us. Yeah. Thank you for that, Lynn. I appreciate it. Love you guys. Love what you do. Love what we used to do or what y'all you know are still doing <laughs> to serve the church with ongoing curriculum. And, uh, and I know a, it's a great work. Well, and I know, Ken, we're, we're here to talk about uh, this passage, uh, talking about persecution and, and the study, but I just need to say this, that, you know, we're primarily Sunday school curriculum. And a lot of people think Sunday school is just so old and outmoded. I mean, even the name sounds old, but Sunday school, the principles behind it, if they're done well, are just as good today as they were when those principles that Arthur Flake wrote down over a hundred years ago, it's still a good ministry. You're absolutely right. And we've said it before. I guess we'll say it one more time here on the podcast, but Sunday school absolutely works, but you got to work Sunday school, right? You got to stick with the principles. You got to do the hard work. But in my experience, everywhere I have served, when we do those things, 
the Sunday school flourishes and grows. It reaches people and uh, becomes a, a way to you know get new people assimilated into the church. So I'm a big fan. It is. It is good. So we are in a study called a living life connected to Christ. As we look at uh, the teaching Jesus gave on that last night with his disciples right before his arrest and, and uh, his trial and his crucifixion. Uh, this is our, our fifth session of this. And we're going to be looking at the emphasis on what he said about persecution. And so remember this, as we look at this passage in the gospel of John, that living like Jesus means being treated as he was now well, one of the icebreaker questions uh, and I, I think it's used across our lines is um that i think will uh prompt some conversation is uh when have you had to prepare for something uh, that was difficult or challenging and um essentially we're going to roll into jesus said living the christian life and following me is going to be that uh, but uh, a softer entry would be for people to talk about difficult things they've had to prepare for or challenges in their lives. So, uh, so, so Chris, what would that be for you? Uh, probably uh, working on advanced degrees. Um, when I, um, after I finished my, my master's, I, I didn't think I would, would continue on. And then um, I had, uh, people in my life who encouraged me to do that, both by their example and their experience. My my grandfather was a pastor, and he said, "Get all the education you can while you're young." So I uh, I took that to heart and and uh, and did did an advanced degree, and uh, then when I was done, told my wife, "If I ever talk about this again, you take a gun and shoot me." <laughs> uh, but because uh, because uh, it it. It helped me to be a better uh, pastor and minister, but um, it it there was a lot of work uh, sure. all the way through. And I, you know, I think there are probably other adults who have uh, maybe done um, uh, an MBA, or finished their college education, or or finished their high school education, and um, as adults with jobs and families, that that's just hard work. Um, so that would be one example, I think. Good. Ken, what about you? You know, I've got uh, I've got two. So uh, here's just I'll do this very quickly. One was my move to Tennessee about 12 years ago, transitioning from my home state of Texas to Tennessee, where we knew nobody. I mean, we were completely alone. That was very challenging for us, challenging to start a new job, to figure that out, to find a new church. It was just a difficult period of life that many of our listeners probably have been through. They know what that's like, you know, and the challenges of resetting a home and whatnot. But another one that came up uh, after that, both of my parents died and I officiated uh, or had a part in their funerals. And I got to tell you, fellas, that is if, if you've ever never done that, I mean, you probably have. That is such a difficult thing to be asked to speak and to say things about a loved one who you know has died. And I found that to be a very challenging thing. You know, so, uh, again, maybe some of our listeners have have done that, you know, with relatives or friends. But for me, that was a that was a very challenging thing to do. Just something you don't do every day. Wow. All right. Well, as we think about preparing for things that are difficult, challenging, we want to look at what Jesus said in that regard uh, in the Christian life. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in John 15, verse 18. And guys, I'm going to read a few verses, and I want to turn it back to you and let you guys respond. But this is what Jesus said. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So I think that these are probably words that may be new. Um, I, I don't think that this is kind of a go-to scripture reading or sermon passage for uh, a lot of our listeners. So um, keep that in mind that some people may be hearing that for the first time that Jesus said, look, you think it was, you think it's bad. <laughs> uh, it, it can be difficult to follow him because that's not a, what we do when we do evangelism most of the time, right? Right. I don't think I've ever invited someone to uh, consider the claims of Christ and to place him, you know, as Lord of their life uh, and then follow it up with, and it's going to be terribly difficult at times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, the reality, Ken, is for many of us as believers, we have not experienced this uh, for so long in our, in our American history and culture, uh, being a Christian uh, was not a, I'm going to say it's not difficult in the sense of we didn't face persecution or even ostracism for because we were believers. But we do know what happens. And I think we're going to see it increasingly more and more uh, in our own culture. Uh, but have you ever, let me just ask this, have you ever known someone who encountered opposition for following Jesus? There was a friend of mine uh, several years ago named Phil, who uh, his company was bought out. And the new company came in and told him uh, as a manager, they wanted him to rate his employees, but they wanted them, him to, to rate them down so that they could legitimately say, you're fired. And he said, I can't do that. I just did annual reviews and rated them honestly. They're excellent people. They wouldn't be here. He said, I, I can't go back and, and do that to them. And they said, well, if you're not willing to do that, you will not be a part of this new company. And so he had several wow. conversations with his boss. And then ultimately, Phil just stood his ground on Christian principles and said, I just can't do this. And fellas, they fired him. And uh, it was almost a year and a half before he found full-time employment in our Sunday school class several times over the course of that year and a half took up a financial collection for him to help he and his wife make some house payments and do Christmas. And, and we just, we saw them suffer, but he did it because of Christ. And so that's the story that I've got. It was terribly difficult to watch that happen to him for that stand that he took. So as a young uh, minister, uh, um, there was a man in our church who remains a, a dear friend uh, to me who, um, um, uh, worked in um in in an industry and sales were a part of his responsibilities and um his job there were people upline who said that when sales guys come in or when clients come in we want you to take them out uh once you take them out to bars once you take them to strip clubs uh do whatever it is that they want to do and this guy was a christian and said you know i won't do it i won't and I'll take him to dinner, but I won't do those other things. And he was fired mm -hmm. uh, because of his his Christian convictions. And like what you just described, it was not uh, it was several. It was a year or more before uh, he found uh, permanent employment. And um, it was for me as a as a young uh, minister and well as a young adult, uh, it it, it made a tremendous impact on my life to see someone take a stand and live out their faith regardless of the consequences. 
Sure. I've, I've seen that happen twice in my ministry as well. I, I've seen guys on that very same scenario about not wanting to take clients to certain, you know, places like the strip clubs uh, and they both lost their jobs as well. So that must be a thing, but yeah, I've watched, I've watched men sacrifice their jobs and, and uh, really, you know, put their family in peril because they wanted to do the right thing and stand up for Christ and they were persecuted for it. Well, and that's what Jesus is, he's telling his disciples and of course telling us that's what's going to happen. You're going to live like him. We will face opposition like he faced it. Um, in our personal study guides, there's a comment that's made that when we live, when we are like him. We are not so much like others in the world. We are aliens. We are strangers. We are, as Jesus said, not of this world. So I think a part of the issue is we're not distinctive enough. We're too much like the world. And that that's some of why we probably don't uh, have these kind of things happen in our lives. And maybe the challenge in our groups will be to talk about what what in what areas are have we become too much like the world? How do we need to be distinctive as followers of Christ? It's a good point. Good. And, and Chris, there's a way to be distinctive without being terribly obnoxious and offensive. Right. I mean, there yes. is it's not going to have to we don't have to have you know, uh, signs and stand on corners all the time, you know, but there are ways we can respectfully, you know, disagree and, and take a Christian stand uh, and, and try to still have an opportunity to kind of, you know, have a, a voice in the conversation. And there's a way you can do it, I think, that uh, is more palatable, perhaps. But ultimately, you know, you've got to take the stand regardless. But there is a way to do it, probably a right and a wrong way, right? I think right. so. Peter's the one who made the comment that if you suffer, it should not be as a thief, murderer, or even as a meddler. And mm-hmm. I love how he, he put them in all that same category. And I've known people like that. They just feel like, well, they're just so hard on me. It's because they're being obnoxious uh, about something. And uh, not, not necessarily about their faith, but they're just being an obnoxious person. And, uh, well, they're just they're rejecting me because of Jesus. You know, they're not being persecuted. Uh, we, we heard some of that with uh, as we entered the pandemic in the early days of mm. with things shutting down and uh, churches, you know, moving to virtual virtual services and doing things online. Well, they're persecuting the church. Well, we still had Sunday school. We could still have church. Uh, we just had to think of new ways to do it. But we have to be clear what we're talking about when we talk about what it truly means to be persecuted. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's, uh, I want to, I want to take us to um, verses 22 through 25 and look at a little bit of this idea where the, the, the reason the world rejects Jesus, uh, they, they reject him in spite of truth. Uh, Jesus said this in verse 23, the one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated me and my father. Let me ask you guys a question. This is a question that's in our personal study guides. What is it about Jesus that many people find objectionable? Why do they reject the truth about him? Well, I think from a cultural perspective, a world religion kind of perspective, we, we see that um, that um, there's a, a prejudice, a deep-seated, deeply held past family generational uh, uh, hatred uh, for the values of, of Christ and the teachings of Christ. Uh, sometimes that's accepted without 
uh, any kind of thought or knowledge of, of Christianity. Uh, Brandon gave a great uh, description story of uh, a, a, a lady who was a Muslim who came to faith in Christ and she had been separated, ostracized from her family uh, her, to, to, to her father. Uh, he, he viewed her as she was dead to him, uh, uh, threatened to kill her because of that. We, most of us can't even think that through or process what that would look like or feel like um, for us to have that kind of experience. And Chris, I don't want to repeat what we've done in, in a previous podcast, but we did talk about this previously where uh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think a lot of people just object to the fact that Jesus is saying he is the only way. Yep. I think that's a big, big part of it. I think also, too, fellas, you know, uh, you know, why is Jesus offensive? Well, you know, Scripture tells us that, you know, light came into the world. But men love the darkness, you know, and there's this part of our human nature that is is repelled sometimes by the goodness of God, right? Because we realize uh, our sinfulness and we sometimes push back against that. Uh, and so that, I think, is is a big part of it. He calls us to something better, you know, than, than what we are and to live better and to be better and shows us an alternate, you know, reality, an alternate future, uh, if we would bow our knees. And, you know, unfortunately for us as human beings, uh, humility and bowing of knees and submitting ourselves, is, it doesn't come very naturally, right? And so it's not really, a, <laughs> uh, it's not really surprising, you know, that the world rails and pushes back and, and rejects the truth. It seems to love darkness and falsehood and uh, the covering of sin. So. I have a feeling that we're going to see more and more of this when we um, as believers and, and people in of who are Christians uh, take strong stands that are uh, opposed to the culture. And we live in a culture that is more and more accommodating and more and more accepting of things that the Bible uh, states some, make some strong statements right. against those things. Mm -hmm. And, and so uh, we're just in a, an odd, awkward time, I think where people are, are going to come to the place where they have to figure out how to say, um, this is what I believe in. It's against what the culture, the trends of the culture. And uh, you know, you can fill in the blanks over, what those social cultural issues are. Uh, but I think it's going to become more and more of a deal for us in the future. Yeah. I, I think you're, you're exactly right about that, Chris. And, and here's the interesting thing, you know, in this passage that, uh, that Lynn just read, you know, it says here, you know, they have seen and they have hated both me and my father. Right. He says they have hated me for no reason. And so uh, as I read that, you know, I thought, you know, I, the, the note that I jotted down here was you, you just can't reason with them. <laughs> you just can't. I mean, you can speak the truth, but these folks have made up their mind. They hate. I mean, they hate Jesus. They hate God and they will not bend and bow. And so uh, we absolutely need to have a steady, constant witness uh, to these people. But I don't think we need to believe that we're always going to be able to reason them into the kingdom. These, there are just going to be some folks that are 
that are just hell bent on opposing God. And no matter what they see and no matter what we say and what we tell them, they're going to hate. He says here, they've seen me and they've hated both me and my father. They've got no reason for that. Exactly. Of course, Jesus is telling us this, uh, not just to uh, depress us or to, uh, you know, get us down, but he's, he's telling us this to prepare us so we can be aware that you know, in the idea when these things happen, you know, God knows about, it. he's aware in this idea. If we anticipate persecution, it helps us to have a steadfast faith. And, and Jesus even said this, you get into, uh, we're going to move into John chapter 16 and verse one, he said, I've told you these things to keep you from stumbling. Skip down to verse four, but I told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember, I told them to you. He's wanting us to be prepared so that we can have that steadfast faith. Obviously, Jesus was speaking primarily to um, his followers who had a Jewish background. So he said things like, you won't, you'll be rejected. You won't be able, allowed to go to the synagogue. I think there's an inference to you won't be able to go to the temple. Um, so I, I, I don't. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like for us. I don't know that we're at the place in our culture in America where there'll be a time when we're not allowed to go to church, but others, other nations, other countries, when they've made significant changes, uh, that is something that has been forbidden and, and God's church continues to flourish and to grow in spite of that. So I think his warning is important to us. Um, so he asked the question, he said, I'm, I'm doing this to prepare you so you won't stumble. Um, what do you think that looks like for us? I, I think it's one of the questions that's asked. Um, how can Jesus warning keep us from stumbling? So I thought about that. Chris did a little, did a little work and uh, I always like to know, Hey, what's the word behind the word. And so when you go take a look at the word stumbling in the original language, it's, it comes from a Greek word, scandalizo. It sounds like mm -hmm. what? Scandal. Okay. Right. And when you do a little more digging, you find out that it, it means to, uh, to not be a stumbling block to, to somebody. And so I think when you, you, you look at that, I think what Christ is saying here in verse one of chapter 16 is he said, Hey, look, I've told you these things to keep you from taking offense from thinking that I promise you a life of, you know, uh, peace and prosperity. And then it's almost like, ha ha, I tricked you. Look, things are really tough. Some of you are dying for your faith. You're being persecuted. And it's like, I sold you a bill of goods. You know, I, I, I pulled a little switcheroo on you. And now, you know, you're going to you know walk away from the Christian faith because you felt like you got tricked. And he says, look, I'm telling you these things up front so that you're not offended so that you don't leave. I'm telling you, it's going to be a hard decision and a hard lifestyle you're going to have as a follower of mine. Yeah, I appreciate what you just said. And, and I do believe that if we go into groups uh, coming up in the, in, in the days to come and that this would this will seem scandalous <laughs> to a lot of the people in our groups that we're saying, um, hey, um, it's going to get hard. It's going to be difficult. Jesus predicted that if you follow him, people are going to do to you what they did to him. They're going to yeah. hate just like they hate it. I really believe that this is a scandalous message for the people who are listening to this podcast and who will be in groups this week. Yeah. And I want to go back to my friend, Phil, that I mentioned at the very beginning, the guy that lost his job. 
Yeah, I think this verse uh, was was pivotal for Phil because he knew going into it that uh, taking a stand for Christ, it wasn't always going to be, you know, a bed of roses type thing. He knew when he told his bosses that he had limits that he would go uh, in following their directions because of his faith in Christ and the belief that this was something wrong he was being asked to do. Uh, he knew that if he lost his job, Jesus still loved him that Jesus was going to provide for him. He was just going to do it in a different way. It was not going to cause him to stumble and to feel like he had been tricked, you know, or that Jesus wasn't there for him. He knew that the persecution was a part or could be a part of that decision that he made. And it turned out that it was, but I think that helped sustain him though, through that year and a half when he was searching you know, weekly for a job and nothing was forthcoming. He never doubted that Christ loved him or that he had done the right thing. In fact, it was almost like, a, I won't say a badge of honor, but he was proud in a good way that he was able to, in that particular moment, stand up for Christ and do the right thing, knowing that persecution probably was going to come his way. Well, we see that with the disciples in the book of Acts when they faced uh, some hard times, how they rejoiced because they were able to suffer for the name of Christ. Yeah. Now, Lynn, as, as we go through this particular little passage right here, the one that wraps up the study, there's a, a phrase here in the end of verse two that says, he says, a time is coming when anyone who kills you is going to think they're offering a service to God. Wow. Now, in our culture, because Lynn, you mentioned this earlier, in our American culture, we really don't see that kind of persecution at the moment. We see ostracism. We see us being labeled, you know, political extremist or whatever. So we're not experiencing this kind of, uh, of persecution. However, if I was teaching this, uh, this particular lesson, I might uh, at this moment uh, just ask my group to take out their smartphones. I could put them in groups of two or three or four. And guys, you could ask them, you could assign them different continents in the world. So group A, they've got the African continent. Group B, South America, Group C, they've got Europe, and give them five minutes to do some quick online search, you know, if you've got the ability to do that in the group, and look for, you know, martyrs, and just have them, you know, uh, you know, Google martyrs, and then the continent, and, and see what they can find out. They would be surprised as a group how many Christians every year lose their lives around the world because they are persecuted. We don't see that here in America yet but it is prevalent around the world. It might be kind of an eye-opening teaching exercise, Lynn, you know, for them to right. start to see, can I get this? Cause I don't, I mean, I don't wake up every day and see that kind of stuff in the news and it can become this distant concept, you know, that hey, I've got brothers and sisters around the world that are, they're dying today because of their faith. And I just don't wake up every day and think about that, but it's happening. And maybe that would, that would underscore the seriousness that brothers and sisters around the world today are facing. Even That's a great idea. Yeah. That is phenomenal. Uh, in, the, in the live it out section of your books, uh, where we have some application ideas, it even encourages groups to do something like that. Even going a step further, you, you, you pray for them and even kind of adopt a missionary that's in a persecuted area. Mm. Uh, I know our international mission board uh, can provide information. Voice of the Martyrs is a great source, but to get that information about a missionary um, or a missionary team that's in a area that faces persecution and become, become their partners in prayer, financial support, whatever it might be. Uh, Ken, that is an excellent idea. Thank you. Um, 
Brandon mentioned um, open doors as a source for you yes. to look at. And uh, the, in fact, we created a pack item that uh, is used in this session uh, for people who use that, uh, which is a graphic representation of persecution throughout the world. So uh, there are there are tools available. That's a great uh, recommendation, Ken. Ken, thank you for joining us for this podcast as we talk Guys, about persecution. Happy to be here. And, and honestly, this is a great, I'm, I'm thankful that you're tackling this and we're talking about persecution because this is a, it's part of the Christian life. And it's one, Chris, like you said earlier, we don't often, you know, hear about this a lot, but it's real. And so I'm very thankful that BSFL, Bible Studies for Life, is, is tackling this. Well, I am too, as Chris noted earlier, there's kind of this uh, I think you awkward time we're in where we're not facing full head-on persecution uh, yet. This is a great time for us to be talking about it and preparing for it. So as Jesus said, that we'll be aware of it so that when that time comes, we don't stumble. So thank you for joining us for this podcast, Ken and Chris, you too. And uh, we hope all of you out there just have a great discussion and Bible study this week.